Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey, I'm Brooklyn Nash. I run Beam Content along with my two co-founders, Sam Hembry and uh, my wife, Becca. <laughs> um, yeah, we just launched a few weeks ago, but we've been working with a number of freelancers in the last six months as we scale up. Congrats on the agency launch. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. I know you have, just diving right in, I know you have a a really fascinating background and you've kind of run the gamut from working in-house for some pretty big company, from some pretty well-known companies, as well as freelance and now starting an agency. Can you maybe talk through, you know, like what inspired you to start your agency? Yeah, it was a couple different things together. Um, Number one, uh, so, well, a few things. Let's see, where do we start? Uh, my wife and I have been working together on freelancing stuff for going on five, six years. Um, and then Sam and I worked together in-house at a startup um, for about a year. And in that role, we focused on a lot on community content. So talking with experts, turning those into uh, you know, social clips and long-form articles, guest posts, things like that. Um, so we really wanted to bring together all of those elements um, to provide kind of a what we see as a fresh take on content in B2B, um, where we're starting with conversations with experts instead of the typical Google search and kind of reformatting what you find uh, as you search around the web. So yeah, we launched Beam with two main kind of deliver- deliverable areas. We've got long form content uh, that can be eBooks and guides and case studies and thought leadership articles. And then we want to pull pieces of those through to social so that there's some distribution built in, in the form of image quotes and video clips and text posts and things like that. Absolutely. And kind of going into this, and I know that you obviously have a background being like an excellent writer and strategist yourself. What were some of the mindset shifts that you had to go through to kind of go from being the one always like executing the work to now also managing a team? Yeah, I mean, I'm still going through that mindset shift. So get back to me, I guess, in in another six months. Uh, But in general, what I've had to be very intentional about to varying degrees of success these last six months is taking kind of what's in my brain and how I work on things to actual documented processes and guidelines and feedback. Um, so we're, we're working on getting very specific about everything from our briefs from the beginning to the feedback that we provide to our writers. Um, so it's less me spending six to eight hours writing a piece and more like, uh, you know, spending an hour putting together a brief and then uh, maybe another hour on the tail end, um, giving some high level feedback, recording a loom video with that feedback and trying to set our writers up for success. And now we're at the next stage where, so our our second full-time hire, Marisa just started. um, So now we're at kind of the next stage where we want to get that even more solidified and documented because now it's not even just me providing that feedback to freelancers. It's our team kind of working together toward that goal of making things conversational and specific and unique and fresh. So yeah, we're, we're figuring out the best tools and processes to make that happen. Absolutely. And there's like so much I want to unpack. 
unpack there. Um, what were some of the very first processes that you created um, for Beam? And can you maybe walk me through how you kind of thought about creating that process and taking all the, the all of that tribal knowledge that's in your brain and trying to impart that into a bunch of writers? Yeah, the very first. Yeah, we're in the middle of all the processes, but the very first piece that we have we've had in place for the longest was um, a solidified format for our client briefs. So every time we bring on a new client, we walk through the documentation they have in place. We try to get on as many calls as possible with not just the marketing team, but sales and customer success, and sometimes even customers to um, kind of round out as much as we can in that client brief. And usually that's uh, three, four pages and it covers their audience, their competitors, their main offerings, their differentiators, um, uh, resources that, that we can pull from on a consistent basis from evergreen content, things like that. So that there's this kind of foundation to go off of no matter what the piece we're working on down the line. So you can come back to that for everything from a case study to make sure you're nailing the, the, the right audience to, you know, come back to it for the data that they have out or an ebook that has worked well for them that they can link through to, to content that we're creating. So that really kind of set the foundation. Like we'll have a, a client brief in place, ideally before we assign anything to a, a writer. Absolutely. What um, are there any other kind of processes or SOPs that you already have in place? Uh, so we have our onboarding uh, in place, thanks to Becca. Um, she's our ops lead now. Um, so we're on ClickUp, um, and then with uh, some other tools like Slack and Gusto for actual payments. Um, so we have a, a pretty clear process for onboarding writers once we decide to work together. Um, so we send over an email that uh, with basically the one ClickUp link that walks them through everything that they need to get in place, gives them some tutorials on how we use ClickUp for project management, where they can find everything. Um, so that's really helped kind of avoid the, the, the back and forth email chains and really make it um, consistent across the board and a little more scalable as we bring on more writers. Absolutely. And to kind of talk about some of your writers, um, I'm sure you probably already have like processes or things that you look for when it comes to how to find and hire and then ultimately retain the best like kind of freelance writers on your team. Can you maybe speak to that? Yeah, um, we... We went through a big, uh, I went through a big process a couple of months ago now, um, trying to find kind of the, the next round of writers that are a good fit for, for Beam. So I spent, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30, 40 hours over the course of a month. What do you call it? Uh, like just going through the, the emails that I received as a result from my social posts and, and reviewing um, writing samples and things like that. And then getting back to those who who seemed like a good fit and then jumping on a quick 15 minute call. And th that the combination of those two things really helped because we had, I think three or 400 responses and we've were hired uh, 12 freelancers right now. So we really needed to narrow it down. I was looking for writers that already fit what we're going for with content. And I think I mentioned it earlier, we're going for specificity and conversational approach in our content. So when I was opening up writing samples, I could pretty quickly see if they seemed like a good match from the start. Um, just with the topics they're writing about, how they're writing about it, honestly, their introductions, whether it sounded like a typical 
B2B intro or SEO article versus something that had a, a unique hook or took a, a narrative approach or was based off of an interview. So I took maybe just a couple of minutes going through every single freelance email, uh, freelancer email to, to get that, that initial sense. And then I emailed, I think about 60 out of the, the three or 400 to get on a call with. And then with those I got on a call, I spent more time going through their writing samples and just kind of making sure they had the right experience that we were looking for. And honestly, if they like just on that call, if it seems like they could be a good fit in the team. Um, and then from there, we narrowed it down to to about the 12 that we're, we'll be working with this year. That sounds like a pretty thorough process. Um, when you're kind of whittling down from that six, that group of like 60 writers to now kind of 12, was there like anything in particular that stood out um, within those calls that, you know, made it much more clear that they might be a good fit? And also, are there any times where, you know, things that you maybe saw on those calls and then when you started working with them, maybe didn't match up and how did you handle that? Yeah. Um, so a good fit was anyone who was already taking a unique approach in their writing. Um, so instead of starting with, you know, digital transformation is more important than ever, given that blah, 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 like according to McKinsey stat, like we want something fresh from the, even from the top of the introduction. So um, we were already looking for a pretty particular writing style. So that was apparent pretty quickly. Um, sometimes there was a, a mismatch where I would maybe see one writing sample, but then as I dug deeper, when we were getting ready to get on a call um, or a post call, where maybe it, it saw that in one or two of their examples, but then a lot kind of still missed the mark of what we were looking for. And we we're really looking to not have to micromanage or um, go into a lot of granular edits, I should say, or basic one-on-one edits with our writers. We're looking to work with writers who are already, you know, A-plus writers and what they submit to us is about 80% publish ready. And the edit process is then taking more of a larger view of does this, are we getting at everything that we need to? Are there other elements that we could pull in? Does this piece feel necessary? Can we break up this section so it feels more engaging and scannable and less like this, this phrase feels awkward or there's a typo over here. Like we're looking at, at writers who can submit work that is, like I said, the, the 80% published ready. So looking at other writing samples as I dug in deeper that, um, is pretty readily apparent in writing samples themselves. Absolutely. And I don't necessarily know if you, it, I don't know if this has been an issue with you before, but have you ever noticed that, you know, sometimes it's pretty hard to tell when you get a published sample from a writer, whether how much of that was their writing versus just them working for a really, really great editor. Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. It honestly had a lot to do with the types of content and, and companies they were working with. Uh, that's usually a good, a good sign. Um, but honestly, if the final version is, is great and they've been working with this particular company for a while, um, I think that's a good sign of their writing ability. Even if the, the editor is great, like you, you kind of have to have a solid foundation. You can't take a crappy draft and turn it into a great draft, but you can take a good draft and turn it into a great draft. Yeah, absolutely. So you have this team of 12 writers, you have an ops lead. Um, and I think you mentioned, and obviously uh, two co-founders. 
Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about how you are like building camaraderie and making sure that everyone's in the same, going in the same direction? Yeah, that too is kind of a work in, in progress. Um, we're, so I don't want to, I don't know, oversell us because we're kind of new to this, but we really do want to create a, a more of a community feel with our freelance writers, even as they're freelancers and contractors. And there's a certain limit to what you can do there because you can't start treating freelancers as full-time team members but we we want to give as many resources and opportunities to learn and connect as possible so we've done that kind of on an ad hoc basis so far um uh kaylee moore on twitter had a, a, a live session on writing like a journalist um so we offered to pay for our writers to go for that and i think three or four of them took us up on it um, and it sounded like a, a great session that benefited everybody. Um, as I go through feedback rounds, I will sometimes share a Loom video in our Slack channel, um, walking through what I did and why, even if it, even though it's not on an assignment that they were responsible for and just saying, hey, this is a, you know, a 10 minute Loom video. If you have time and want some more insights into what we're looking for, um, feel free to check it out. So none of these things are required, but we're trying to offer a little bit more uh, sorry, be a little bit more of a resource than just uh, make these changes on this draft. We want it to be a better experience for everybody because I've been a freelancer for a long time. So something that's important to me is to make it a great working relationship for our freelancers. Absolutely. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about how you said something really interesting there where you were talking about how like, you know, things that you learned as a freelancer before starting um, your agency kind of led to a lot of the ways that I'm sure you're shaping the agency. Can you maybe speak to some more things that you kind of learned in that process that maybe you want to do differently now that you have an agency? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I will say is the caveat here is, I mean, I was a freelancer for seven years before we started this and it is easier said than done to to do some of these things like you think of like what you want from your ideal client and now that I'm a client for freelancers it's I want to meet those things but like I understand the uh like the lack of bandwidth and um uh you know having to turn things around quickly and all of that we're trying to mitigate that um any way we can but it's still a learning process for all of us um one of the things what are some of those? I mean, honestly, late, <laughs> this is big for, I think any freelancer, like late payments from clients. That's our number one. No, no is, um, you know, paying our freelancers late. Well, we, we've committed to paying by the 15th of each month. So we have about a, like a two week or what would that be net 15 um, when they submit invoices at the end of the month. Um, so we're sticking with that because nobody likes late payment and we don't want to be the client that does that so that's just a simple way that <laughs> it's a it's a it sounds straightforward but you'd be surprised well actually you wouldn't be but maybe some people would be surprised at how many clients pay invoices late so we don't want to do that um i think the number one difference is or sorry not number one another difference is uh the level of feedback that we provide uh, i mean often as a freelancer you get specific feedback negative feedback on specific drafts and uh, have the opportunity to edit it and then you turn it back around and then it's across the finish line. But you don't often get bigger picture feedback, both positive and constructive or negative about where to improve. 
Um, so as we go through through feedback on our drafts and big picture in our working relationship, we'll try to be pretty clear about what we want, um, what will help match what we're going for for our clients. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, give positive feedback when it makes sense, like giving shout outs to our freelance writers in the Slack channel for turning around a, a really unique draft, for example. Um, just trying to give that validation because as a freelancer, like you'll get something across the finish line and then like it's usually crickets. You don't usually hear that much. So just trying to show as much appreciation as we can for our writers. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's something to be said by just remembering to like give praise when it's due. When you're giving this feedback to your writers, do you have like specific feedback that you're kind of giving over and over again? Yeah. Uh, honestly, the, those two words that that I mentioned earlier, specificity and a conversational approach. So I think out of the two, specificity is the one that I give the most often because uh, that comes in in the introduction. Like instead of starting with a big general statement about how customer expectations have shifted or in the wake of COVID, et cetera, um, trying to start out with a, with a, at the, you know, ground level view, and then you can pull back later into kind of painting the picture. Um, and then further down in, in typical drafts, like if there's a, if you're talking about, um, something and there's no example adding in examples where it makes sense or quotes or particular pieces of research just getting as specific as we can with our, our writing um, really helps elevate what we're turning around to clients um, so nearly in I, I don't maybe nine times out of ten as I'm editing in a google doc that will be a piece of feedback is let's add more let's get more specific here basically that's how the google doc comment reads absolutely Shifting gears a little bit, I know that you are an expat, I believe, potentially spending a lot of time in Guatemala, if that's correct? Yep, that's right. Are there things that like, do you find it to be like an advantage kind of not necessarily being often in this, even in, well, even in the same time, even if you are like one or two time zones away from mm -hmm. some people on your team, like do you, or like, do you find that as to be an advantage or a disadvantage from, you know, people who maybe are in the States? Yeah, I mean, we're lucky because we're on mountain time. And then with, I know daylight savings time will end next year. So half the year we're on mountain and half the year we're on central. So it works out great because we're right in the middle. Uh, and right now our team is spread across Eastern, uh, Central, and then us on mountain. Um, so, I mean, it, it works out. We have quite a bit of overlap in our working uh, working hours. That said, a few of our freelancers are all over the place. Like we have a writer in Spain who is on different hours, um, but that's where we lean on asynchronous uh, asynchronous communication wherever possible. Like we have our Slack, we have our ClickUp. Um, so it doesn't really end up mattering all that much as long as people are committed to responding in, you know, within a few days. Absolutely. And are there any resources, whether that's books, courses, in-person coaching, whatever that might be that have really helped you when it comes to like setting up and now running an agency? Yeah. That, so I'm, I'm kind of, a I don't know why, but a little allergic to um, like the courses or books that go into it. So I actually, to be honest, I haven't read anything along those lines. Becca has, which is 
thank God she has because she's responsible for most of the operations end of things. But what has been super helpful is we are part of a coaching program, business coaching program called 2X uh, for the last four months or so. Um, so the first three months, they really helped us nail our ICP and our messaging and our differentiators and, um, uh, you know, basically guiding us through all the foundational steps that then we could use to build our website and, and our deck and the conversations that we're having with prospects. And then now that we're launched, they're helping us walk through the processes we'll need in place, like what onboarding should look like and um, setting up invoicing and kind of all the nitty gritty ends of the business that, uh, to be honest, six months ago, I wouldn't have realized how many different systems you need in place. Like we literally have, we have a system for creating systems that we use, that we created using the 2X template. So, and we connect with our business coach once a week to talk through our assignments and, and what we're working on and ask questions. So that has been super, super helpful. It's maybe at this point, five percent, like the monthly cost is about five percent of our revenue, and it has been a thousand percent worth it. That's awesome. Can you maybe speak to having a system for creating new systems? Uh, yeah, we'll need <laughs> we'll need Becca on here to get into the detail of that. But basically, it's so we're I mean we're only a team of four full time right now. But basically, as each of us create different systems for each of our areas. So like Sam for creating um, the process for social posts for clients, for example, or Marisa with uh, freelancer feedback or Becca with invoicing, uh, me with client onboarding and discovery calls and things like that. We want quite a bit of consistency across the board. Like we don't want one to live in a Google Doc and another to be click up to-do list that you can copy and paste and another to be over here. We want it all to look the same so that when you're jumping into any particular area of the business, you know exactly where to find what. So the system for creating systems is basically a ClickUp doc that, that walks through, here's what you need in place if you're going to create the system and here's what information you need to collect and here's what you need to write down and here's the format so that everything as we create these over the next honestly the next year we'll have that consistency built in absolutely um that's a, such a great point and as meta as it sounds it definitely makes a lot of sense to have a system for all the different frameworks and processes and systems that you have in your agency i always like to wrap up with a handful of lightning round questions if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Ooh, probably, probably freelancing. I mean, I know I, I write a lot about and our, our core focus is uh, content marketing for our clients, but um, I think there's just a, a dearth of knowledge in the freelancing space about just a lot of transparency around pricing and sales and the business end of things like registering as a business and when that makes sense and things like that. So I think I would focus it around like treating like if you're, I had a tweet that said like, if you're a freelancer, you're a business. So focusing it around that, like all the pieces that you would need in place to scale up what you're making as a, as a freelancer. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the things to go off on a tangent a bit? What are some of the things that you think a lot of freelancers should know, but probably don't know when it comes to, because it's, you know, maybe like because most people aren't necessarily as transparent about it. I think that, I mean, honestly, after the last few years, I think that 
you can make more as a freelancer than you probably realize. And I think that's because there's just not a lot of transparency around uh, pricing and income. And there's like the two ends of the spectrum. You have like working on marketplaces like Upwork and then you have like big rig freelancers posting about making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. And there's like not a lot in the in between of okay, I'm, I'm starting out as a freelancer, I, I'm making 40,000, but how do I get to 80,000 or 90,000? Like six figures is arbitrary, but obviously the more you can make as a freelancer, the more you're able to save and, and uh, kind of set yourself up with the independence that you wanted when you became a freelancer in the first place. Absolutely. That's a great point. As kind of on the other side of where I kind of just asked you like what you would write about, what's one book you'd recommend that all leaders especially that, you know, maybe you're new agency owners like yourself or have been in running an agency for a while should definitely read. Yeah, that's a, so I have a very limited repertoire of books I've read that are business or leadership focused, just because I said like earlier, it's, it's uh, for some reason, I just haven't read those types of books. Uh, but last year I read um, David Chang's memoir slash to me, it feels like business book called Eat a Peach. He was a, um, an American chef that runs, you know, a bunch of restaurants and all of that. And it's just a super transparent, honest take on everything from building a business to leadership, his failures as a leader. Uh, he's just very honest in the book. And it was very refreshing to read that level of transparency around like what he was excited about and what his accomplishments were, but also where he had failed as a leader um, and the lessons he took from that. Um, There's just a really enjoyable uh, book. I'll probably come back to it. Absolutely. And to your point that you've kind of said a couple of times already, where it's a lot of the, like, you know, about not reading a lot of like kind of business courses and business books. And it is from my own perspective, I kind of feel like some of the best lessons you can learn in business, or you can actually learn from like other types of books, whether it's novels or memoirs, like um, the one you mentioned above, are there other kind of books that you've read in your life that maybe have nothing to do with business whatsoever, but you've been able to kind of internalize a lesson from that. Um, that's really helped you in your career. Uh, yeah, it's less leadership or business focused, but um, I loved Stephen King's book on writing. It's literally called On Writing. And it's, I mean, he's obviously a fiction writer and it's focused on fiction. Um, but man, did I highlight in dog ear and write notes in the margin in that book it's a book you need to have physically like it just it's not going to work to have as a kindle book um just because there's so many little things in there that i feel like has helped have helped me as a writer um even as a non-fiction writer i mean i've never touched creative writing since college right um but it's just a really uh, really helpful book for anybody who writes I, i couldn't agree more i've also read the book a couple of times Nice. Yeah. I got to get back to it again. <laughs> nice. Um, and if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Oh, wow. Um, coffee with any historical figure. Honestly, probably, sorry, got me, caught me off guard with that, <laughs> with that question. Uh, maybe John Steinbeck, just cause he's like top three of my favorite writers um, ever. So just, yeah. Picking his brain as they say. Awesome. And I'm guessing one of your other top three writers would have been Stephen King. 
Yep. Stephen King's up there. <laughs> John Green is more contemporary. I guess that's three already, huh? Awesome. Well, it's been really great Bryson's. chatting with you. Where yeah. can listeners find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search Brooklyn Nash and I'll be there. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, Brooklyn. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.